Now we are starting a new, the second part of the study of the book of Luke. Uh, that will take us probably through the summer. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, things shift. And it says that Jesus, knowing that his ascension was near, so knowing that he would go back to the Father, that he would be taken up, and eventually he would leave the disciples behind. He would send the Comforter, the, comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would lead them into all truth. But knowing that he would go, he now sets his mind, he sets his face towards Jerusalem. He's determined to go to Jerusalem, and things begin to shift. One of the things you will notice that um, you will read less about miracles that Jesus performs and more his teaching. So Jesus begins to teach his disciples. He begins to teach us because he's preparing us for the coming harvest. Uh, I don't know how long this was or when this was exactly in the life of Jesus. My guess would be this is like the last two or three months out of the life of Jesus because that was his last journey. It was when he traveled from Galilee through Samaria to Judea and he was headed towards Jerusalem. When was this? We don't know exactly, but I would think this was a, a time period of about two to three months that Luke covers, Luke chapter 10 through 14, uh, 24, covers a time period of about two to three months in the life of Jesus. And see, we see Jesus being very active, being very busy uh, in, in ministering, in teaching, because he's leaving a legacy. So he set his mind on Jerusalem. Why? Because he's now determined to go to fulfill the plan of redemption that he came to bring to us. But there's another aspect that shows up in this passage, in that he T begins to talk about the harvest, and he shows us the Lord of the harvest, and he talks about the coming harvest. He himself, actually, Luke chapter 10, is when he sends out the 70 or the 72 in teams of two, and he sends them from village to village to prepare the way where he, would, he was about to go, and he would go into those villages. This was harvest time for Jesus. He was very busy in leading up. So let's look at this passage, the three parts of this passage that we'll talk through. It's Jesus traveling from Galilee to, um, uh, through Samaria. It's the first part. The second part is that he talks to people and says, tells him, you follow me, or people who come up to him and they want to follow Jesus. And then the third part is where Jesus sends out the 70 or the 72 into the harvest. So let's read from Luke chapter 9 through Luke chapter 10, verse 3. When the days were approaching for his ascension, so he, was, he knew that he was going back to the Father, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. You see this kind of enmity, this, this hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews would look down on the Samaritans because they considered them second-class citizens, not really truly part of the plan of God. And the Samaritans, in return, would just hate the Jews. It's this kind of hatred that was going on. And so they would not receive Jesus simply for the reason because he was going to Jerusalem. And that's not their city. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? 
Wow, you know, like Elijah, Let, let's show them who is boss. You know, let's teach them a lesson. But he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Chapter 10. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. Some of your Bibles may say 72. There's different versions out there. doesn't matter. 70, 72. And sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, go. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. The first part we see Jesus with this determination to go to Jerusalem. It says, knowing that his ascension was near, he was determined. He set his face toward Jerusalem. NIV says he um, resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and the message says he steeled himself. He steeled himself for Jerusalem. See, the word that is used here is commonly translated as to strengthen something or to strengthen oneself. What did Jesus strengthen himself with? As he set out, he, did, he was determined. How did he strengthen himself? I think he looked back to the promises of God. I think he looked back to the revelation of God as it, as it was revealed from the beginning. He remembered the prophecies. He remembered the word of God, even as far back as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, Satan, will be defeated, yet you will strike him. So Jesus, understanding the will of God, understanding what he set out uh, what he was sent for to fulfill these promises, the plan of God, he steeled himself. He became strong and he focused in, in many ways, on Jerusalem because he knew in Luke chapter 13, verse 33, it says that no prophet shall die outside of Jerusalem. He knew that his plan, his place would ultimately be to go to Jerusalem to fulfill the prophecies of old um, to bring about the redemption of mankind. So this is how Jesus focused and he became so single-minded, so focused to fulfill the kingdom of God, to bring it to us, the redemption of mankind. I think that should be an example for us. Understanding the kingdom of God to become somewhat single-minded in our lives, to, to look at the, kingdom, at the world through the kingdom eyes. As God looks at the world, he understands, he sees the kingdom of God and he wants to bring, as he says in in this passage, you go, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's how he wants to use us. That we follow him even in this determination to see the kingdom of God established in our world. I know we pray in, our, uh, in the Lord's Prayer. We say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But do we mean it? 
Do we actually mean it? We pray it, but do we mean it? Do we really want to see the kingdom of God established in us? Do we really want the will of God established in us and through us? It's a kind of determination you see in the life of Jesus, and it becomes an example to us, to those of us who then follow him. And so this is the second part of the story. I'm going to leave out this whole thing with the Samaritans to your own studies. What I want to focus in on is on this part where Jesus, as he's traveling along the road, he challenges some, or some come up to him, wanting to follow him, and he challenges another one and says, you follow me. This concept of following Jesus. The moment we become a disciple, the moment we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we become a, we become a follower. We follow Jesus. That was so in, this, in Scripture. It's still the same today. Remember the disciples. Peter and his brother, Andrew, were in the boat. James and John in the boat. Matthew at the, as a tax booth, uh, at his tax booth collecting money. Jesus comes up to them, says, follow me. Follow me. And they left everything behind in order to follow Jesus. So in this passage, we see the cost of following Jesus. So Jesus is talking about what does it mean to follow me? What is the cost of actually making me part of your life, of being the Lord of your life? What does this mean for us today? What I would like you to do is to remember um, the calling of Abraham here and compare the calling of Abraham with this passage. Remember Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. God calls Abraham. He begins his redemption story by first calling a man to follow him, through whom he will then establish a nation, out of whom shall come the Savior, which is Jesus Christ. So here's the calling that he gave to Abraham. Leave your country, leave your people, and leave your father's household, and follow me to a country that I will show you, to a place that I will show you. So leave behind your country, leave behind your people, leave behind your father's household, your father's family, leave it all behind and follow me. So keep that in mind as we look at this uh, passage here that talks about the cost of following Jesus. Um, so there's a man coming up to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. I'll, I'll come with you. I'll go wherever you go. I will be with you. I'll come with you. So Jesus looks at him and says, Now the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but I have nowhere to even lay my head. What's he trying to say? I have nothing to offer you. When it comes to this world, if you're looking for prosperity, if you're looking for wealth, if you're looking for fame, if you're looking for whatever you, this world may have to offer, I cannot, can it not, I cannot offer it to you. I have nothing. What did Jesus possess? What did he own when he died on the cross? What was the sole possession that he had? It was a garment. His clothes. That's all he had. And they took it from him, and it was woven out of one piece, so they had to roll the die to claim, so that someone could claim it. That was everything that Jesus possessed. He died, quote-unquote, a pauper. The Lord of the universe was so poor, yet nothing. So he's looking at this man and says, I have nothing to offer to you. What are you looking for? Fame? We do not proclaim a prosperity gospel here. 
Because we do not believe that the Lord just promises us prosperity. Following him is hardship. Following him is, hurt, is suffering. Jesus talks more about suffering than he talks about wealth as such. Are you willing to let go of the things of this world and to follow me? Now, compare this to the story of Abraham. Did Abraham have to do this? Not like Jesus, but still. I mean, Abraham, in many ways, he was, he was not a poor man. He owned a lot of cattle. He owned a lot of sheep. He had a big family. But Abraham still, at the end of his life, what did he possess? He had no land. He was a nomad. The only possession that he had was one cave that he purchased for his wife, Sarah, to be buried in. That's all he had. So leaving behind his father's his country and his, his father's household meant for Abraham to leave the wealth of the world behind, to follow God. Now, God blessed him along the way, and he provided for him. But the question is, are you willing to leave these things behind, Jesus is saying, in order to follow me? The things of the world. And uh, he said to another, follow me. But he said, permit me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. What does he mean by that? So this man's father has just died. Literally, he has physically died. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. He's dead. Nothing's going to change this. He's talking about let the spiritually dead, those who do not care about the kingdom of God, let them deal with this issue. Right now, right now, I am putting together a ministry team. I'm putting together a team of those who will follow me, and I will send them out. This is an opportunity for you. Jesus is not saying here, okay, hear me well, hear me well. Jesus is not saying don't care for your parents. Okay, he's not saying that. Because we need to understand it in, in, the, in the totality of Scripture. Jesus actually at one point looked, went to the Pharisees, Mark chapter 7, you can look it up. And he said to the Pharisees, you have this tradition of saying if someone has money that was to go to his parents' care, but you give it to us for the temple, quote unquote. It was really, you give it to us, we take care of the temple, you know. Well, then it's Corbin. It's okay, you can do that. So Jesus looks at them, and thus, you nullify the Word of God. You void the Word of God, which is, honor your parents. Take care of your parents. It's your responsibility. 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul says, if someone does not take care of his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. Because even unbelievers do that. Unbelievers take care of their own family. So Scripture is not saying... Don't care about your family. Jesus is not saying don't care about your dad as such. He's just saying your dad's already dead. This is a Kairos moment. This is an opportunity. And I'm asking you to join the team. Go, go. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's his calling. So some of these moments come and Jesus is asking us, are you willing to obey me? Are you willing to follow me if an opportunity comes along? That's what he's asking him. To do so, are you willing to leave behind your father's household? Are you willing to leave behind your family to follow me? Remember the disciples, Matthew chapter 4, it says that they left their nets, they left their father's Zebedee, and they followed Jesus. So there's always a cost involved in following Jesus. And sometimes Jesus can ask us to leave 
those behind that are dear to us because they're family, because he's saying right now, the time is for you to follow me because I want to use you in my harvest. And then the third one here is um, another one who comes up to Jesus and says, I will follow you, but allow me first to say goodbye to, my, to, to those, in my, um, those at home. The word used here is oikos. You may be familiar with this phrase. And oikos is, is a family, but it's not just a physical family. It's also a spiritual family. So we just talked about this at, at the dedication, 1 Peter 2. We are living stones, and God is building a spiritual oikos. He's building a spiritual family. So this is our family. We're a family. We're an oikos. As, as a church, as, as a group of believers, we form an oikos a group, a family. And so Jesus is telling him, leave behind your friends. Leave behind your people, the things you are comfortable with, your comfort zone. Leave that behind and you come follow me. It's not time for you to enjoy your life as such. It's time I'm calling you into the harvest. Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the price if God is calling you to leave behind your father's house? Are you willing to leave behind your people? To go somewhere where God is calling you to go. Um, then he, this famous phrase, now no one after putting his hands to the plow and is looking back is worthy or fit for the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, obviously you can probably imagine the picture of plowing as they used to plow, you know, with a, with a horse or a, an ox ahead of you. You put your hands to the plow. You got to be determined. You got to look forward. You know where you're going because otherwise you look back, what happens? It's not going to be a straight line, is it? So Jesus is using this as a picture to communicate something to us. What is he trying to communicate? Um, to look ahead to this concept of harvest that we'll look at next, the word harvest in the New Testament, there's only really two storylines or two contexts in which the word harvest is used. It's here when Jesus talks about the harvest is plentiful, yet the workers are few. And it's the story or the parable of the parable uh, of the, the weeds. In this parable, Jesus talks about a farmer who went out to sow the seed. The enemy came and he planted the weed, weeds in, in the seeds. And it both grew up at the same time. The, the workers saw it. They asked, should we pull out the weeds? Jesus, uh, the sower says, no, let it grow. And then at harvest... At harvest, we'll pull out the weeds first and burn them, and then we'll harvest the wheat, the good seed. That's where it's used. Now, in this parable, what does it mean? Jesus explains it this way. He says, the sower is the son of man. That's him. Jesus says, I'm the sower. The field is the world. The field is the world. People. For God so loved the world, for God to love us, for God to love people that he gave his one and only son. So the field is people, the seed is who, is what? The seed are the sons and the daughters of the kingdom. So in Jesus' mind, he's communicating to us how God looks at the world, and he says God sees the world as a field, and he's planting us into his field. You become part of the harvest. 
You become part of what God is doing in this world. And it says, once you become part, once you, you shift your focus and you, you, you're with me, you're a follower of me, everything changes. You have new values. He says, you cannot put your plow to the hands and look back to your old life. Like, what would that have been like? You can't do that, he's saying, because you follow me. You have to look forward. You have to look forward to what God has, to the kingdom that God is building. This is like Israel, and you're probably familiar with this story, when Israel, um, when Moses led them out of the captivity, out of slavery into the promised land, and they wandered through the desert for 40 years. That wasn't God's plan, by the way. He wanted to take them to the promised land, but because they were disobedient for 40 years, he let them wander around the, the desert. But how many times did Israel come to Moses and said, let's go back to Egypt? How many times? They even formed a committee. They even said, put together a committee. Yeah, in, in Scripture, they put together a committee and say, let's choose another leader who will lead us back to Egypt. Because at least in Egypt, we have onions to eat. At least in Egypt, they have garlic. Literally, that's what they're saying, you know? It's like, it's like, what are the values that drive you? Onions and garlic? Versus the kingdom of God that he's establishing in this world. So Jesus says, when you're with me, you're either with me or you're against me. Don't look back. Don't look back. Keep your eyes on the harvest. Keep your eyes on what God is doing in this world. And then the third part um, talks about this harvest. So Jesus then, after he had traveled through Samaria and along the road, talked with these, um, those people who wanted to follow him, uh, he puts together a team of 70 or 72. He puts them together by twos. And he sends him to every town, probably in Judea, where he was about to go, because Jesus really has the harvest on his mind. Here's how John puts this. John chapter 4, which talks about the same um, topic. Jesus says, my food, my food, my desire, my longing is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And here we see Jesus finishing his work. So he was determined to go to, to Jerusalem to fulfill the redemption of mankind. That's my work. That's my calling. That's what I came for. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and the harvest crop for eternal life. See, the harvest of God is to, is to bring eternal life, to bring us into the kingdom of God because he's trying to establish him for himself a people of God for eternity. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. Who were they? Who were the ones who did the hard work? Moses and the prophets, they did the hard work of preparing the soil in, in bringing the word of God. And now he says, now is harvest time. I'm sending you into the harvest. I'm sending you to bring the harvest in this world. And so here 
we see God, and you have to understand, this is God's perspective, okay? We may not look at the world the same way, but God is looking at the world, and he's saying, the field is ripe for harvest. The field is ripe for harvest. Now, we may look at our culture here today in America and say, is that true? Is the American person, are they open for the gospel? Are they receptive to the gospel? Do people come to know Jesus? Yes, to some extent, but not like maybe 50 years ago. Not like maybe 100 years ago or 200 years ago. When churches were filled, churches were growing, churches were multiplying, were exploding into being. But God is saying, that's my problem is not that there's no heart, not a harvest. There's always a harvest. There's always more to be done. There's always, always, always a harvest. Do you know where the greatest harvest is in the world right now? As we are sitting here today, do you know where the greatest, where God is harvesting the most in the world today? This is fascinating. This, is, this blows my mind. It's the nation of Iran. In Iran today, people are, are coming to know Christ by the thousands. That's our God. That's our God. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's not bound by borders. He's not bound by... You know, they say in this... I would encourage you to watch this. This is on YouTube, Sheep Among Wolves. There's two parts to it. The first one is about the church in the Middle East. The second one is about the church in Iran. This is like the most oppressive regime in the world today. We're struggling with them right now, aren't we? <laughs> Other than maybe North Korea. And God doesn't care about regimes. You know what he did? In this movie, they say... You know, 40 years ago, God sent an evangelist to Iran, and he prepared the soil. Who would that be? An evangelist in Iran? It was the Ayatollah Khomeini, who established the um, Islamic Republic of Iran. People were hopeful that life would change, that everything would be good, that the opposite happened. They saw the true face of Islam. And they're saying mosques are empty in Iran. No one goes to church, uh, church to, uh, to the mosque anymore because they have no hope. They're disillusioned. And into this, God steps. And the church is exploding. Well, let me say, rephrase this. It's not the church because there are no churches. There's only believers. They're not allowed to meet as such. But God is building his church, you know, throughout the world. He's saying the harvest is not the problem. I'm the Lord of the harvest. If you look at the situation today in America, this is a statistics that was taken. Um, Barna, if you're familiar with the Barna Group, they do a lot of research uh, among uh, churches and Christians uh, in the United States. And they were looking at the age brackets of pastors, uh, comparing it to 1992 to 2017. The study showed this, that the median age of a pastor in 1992 was 44 years old. That was the average age of a pastor back in 1992. 2017, it is 54. It has shifted 10 years more. I'm 54, okay? So I'm the average pastor, literally. I'm the average pastor. But what does this mean? There's not enough young people who are joining the harvest. 
That's what it means. There's not enough who actually see the calling, life purpose, and becoming part of what God is doing even here in the United States because you know what? God is not finished with us yet. There's yet a harvest to be done in the United States. Even here today, God is saying the harvest is not the problem. If you look at the world overall, the mission that Jesus called us to, in saying, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations, meaning every, every language group, every ethnic group that has a commonality in culture and language, it will be preached to them all, and then the end shall come. In light of this, how are we doing? I don't know, I'm not sure if you can see this. Um, basically, this map shows us um, where people have responded, where churches are, or Christians are, and where they're not. So where it's green, there's a multitude of churches, there's a multitude of uh, believers. Where it's red or orange, there's few. There's about 7 billion people in the world today, 2 billion of which have never, they do not have a chance to hear the gospel because they don't have the Bible in their language. They don't have churches nearby. There's no believers nearby. They do not have a chance. God is looking at this world like this through his eyes and saying, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. What's the problem? The workers are few. The workers are few. What I need is more people like those who came up to him and says, are you willing to follow me? Not the cost of following. Are you willing to go? You go, he tells this one guy. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I'm calling you. So, Jesus says the solution is what? Pray, therefore. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest will send people into his harvest. Now, the word pray is not quite correct here. Praying is like when the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. That's one word. But the word that Jesus uses here literally means to beg Jesus, to beg him. It's like the, the man with leprosy that came to Jesus and he begged him, please heal me. It's like the father whose son uh, had, um, um, was demon-possessed, had seizures, came with Jesus and he begged Jesus, please heal my son. So Jesus says, if you understood... The harvest. If you understood the kingdom of God, you wouldn't just pray about this. You would beg God. You'd be on your knees, pleading, imploring, begging God to send out more workers. Well, let me rephrase this because it's actually not quite correct. The word um, is not sending. Sending is like here in chapter 10 when he sent out the, the 70 or the 72. The word is apostolen, from which we get the word apostle. An apostle is a messenger. He's a sent person. That's not the word Jesus uses here. He uses a different word, and this word literally means to cast out or to throw out. Throw them out. It's the word that's used when Jesus cast out demons they were thrown out. They were thrown out. It's a violent word in many ways. So Jesus says, you beg God that he would throw them out. He would cast them into the harvest. See, this is how God looks at the world. God says the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. 
pray to God, beseech God, beg God that he would send out more workers into the harvest field. Harvest field. Who is called to go? Who is called to respond to this? What comes to my mind here is um, Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is in the presence of God, he's in the temple, and he sees the glory of God, and responds to seeing the glory of God. He says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And so the angel comes, and he touches, he, he grabs a coal from the, the altar, and he touches his lips and says, you've been cleaned, you've been forgiven, you're a new person now. And right after this, God declares, whom shall I send? Who will be my messenger? Whom shall I send? Who will be my messenger? And Isaiah says, here I am. Here I am, send me. You don't need a letter from heaven. You don't need a letter written to you from Jesus, I want you to join the harvest. You're already called. Simply by default, actually, all of us are called because we are all seed in the hands of God. We are all part of the harvest. Every one of us is. You don't need a special calling. You need a willingness. See, this is what Isaiah, that he was willing to go. He says, here I am, send me. So God is just looking, and that's what he's asking for when he says, pray you therefore that the Lord of the harvest will throw them out. Who? Those who are willing to go. My personal calling was nothing phenomenal. It was simply, I remember going outdoors and saying, Lord, I'm willing to go. If you can use me, here I am. That was my calling. I had no big revelation. I had no big vision. I didn't even have a word from Scripture. I just had an openness, a willingness to go. And that's the seed that God is looking for. If you allow me, parents, let me say a word to you. Did you dedicate your children to Christ when they were born? I remember when, we, when our children were born, um, not right away because there's still nurses around, you know, but um, as soon as we could, we would, we would come together and we pray for our daughter. We pray for our sons. We would dedicate them to Jesus. We would take them to the church, and the church dedicated them to Jesus. What, 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 do, we, what do we think when we hear dedication? What is your desire when you dedicate your children to Jesus? What is your desire? I think our desire is that they too would follow Jesus, isn't it? That they too would choose ultimately to follow Jesus. Are you willing to pray them into the harvest? Are you willing to actually implement this and beg God for your own children? Lord, I pray, I pray, I beg you that you would use my son, my daughter for the harvest. Wow. Are you willing to do this? So how do we summarize this? I think what we need to understand that Jesus is pursuing a harvest He's on the way to Jerusalem, not just to redeem mankind, to fulfill the plan of God, but ultimately to establish the kingdom of God, and, to, and we're part of that kingdom. The moment we join Jesus, the moment we become part of the plan of God, we're part of the harvest. God is saying, That's not, the harvest is never the problem. 
I need workers. I need those who are willing to go. Would you please uh, close your eyes? And the next few seconds, would you just ask yourself the question, if God was to ask you to go? You know, in this passage, we're looking at about the cost of discipleship. It's not that Jesus is asking us necessarily to, to, to become poor like he was, but he's asking us, are you willing to? Are you willing to? Where is your willingness how would you respond to Jesus if he was to call you to go?